I want to say hello to all of you watching online and on television. For those of you in the room, please give our online television audience a big hand. Yeah. I'm so thankful for mornings like this when we have hiccups, aren't you? Reminds us what it's all about, and it's not about us. That's the beauty of it. Thank you so much again for being here. If you have a Bible, please go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it'll be page 1026, 1026. As you're turning there, I know you had an amazing sermon last week. Cammie brought the word for us, and so, so thankful for that. Yes, you can clap for Cammie, yes. Yes. It's amazing to see our kids up here leading us in worship. You know, we say it all the time, they're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. Amen. Amen. Well, as we get started, uh, Pastor Ken actually wanted me to share this joke with you. And so, if you don't like it, you can blame him. And Anyway, so here we go. A Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They planned to stay in the same hotel that they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult for the couple to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on a Thursday. His wife was going to leave the next day. The husband checked into the hotel, and there was a computer in the room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter of her email address and sent the email without realizing the error. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, Texas, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a Methodist minister who uh, had been called home to glory the previous week. The widow decided to check her email, expecting condolences and messages from family and friends. But after reading her first email, she screamed and fainted, and the widow's son rushed in to the room. He found his mother on the floor, and he saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife. I've just arrived today. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and, are, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. Since I've just arrived, I thought I'd send you an email. Everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. <laughs> P.S. Sure is hot down here. It's <laughs> a good one, Ken. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. I tell you. <laughs> All right, let's get serious. Luke chapter 7. I thought that joke was appropriate because this part of the Luke's, of Luke's gospel is about Jesus raising the widow's son. Raising the widow's son. Verse 11 says, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. A town called Nain. Now that phrase, soon afterward, we need to know what came before it. And what came right before this text was that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Plain. Not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Sermon on the Plain, as it is in Luke's Gospel. And then immediately following that, we see Jesus heal a centurion's servant. This man comes to Jesus one day, and there's a crowd around, and he says, My servant 
he needs healing. Will you please heal him? Jesus says, yes, I'll go and I'll heal him. And the man said, no, 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 he understood authority. He said, if you'll just speak the word, it will happen. And Jesus said about that man, he says, I tell you the truth, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And that very hour, that man's servant was healed. And so right after we get this amazing picture of faith here, this man stepping out, asking Jesus just to speak the word, and it would be done, then we see Jesus come to this small town, the town of Nain. And as Jesus is coming in, verse 11 tells us, soon after he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd was with him. I was reading that and I was thinking about the town of Nain. It is a beautiful place. The, the word Nain actually means beautiful or delightful or pleasant or green pastures. It's about four miles from Tabar. It's about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. And it's right on this slope that goes right into the Jezreel Valley. And if you know anything about the Jezreel Valley, it is a beautiful, lush place. In fact, Jezreel, or Jezreel as we call it, Jezreel means God will sow, God will make fruitful. And so at the bottom of this slope, going out into these beautiful plains, there's this beautiful little town, population about 200 there, and something has taken place there. Someone has died. And that just reminded me of this, I think, very important point, and that is that you can live with beauty all around you and still be hurting on the inside. And so many times we try to beautify our life, don't we? We want the things around us, whether, whether it be our house, you know, our neighborhood, whatever it is, we try to beautify our life around us, but Jesus wants to deal with the pain on the inside of us. Jesus is walking into this town on this day, and notice that there are two kinds of people with him. One are his disciples, and the other is a crowd. And that reminds us that there's a difference between the two, Right? There's a difference between being a disciple, which is to be an apprentice, it means to be in training, and being a part of the crowd. And the crowd, well, they were curious. They were just curious. They were wondering what Jesus was going to do next. But as Jesus' fame is spreading, what we see is that not only is his disciples following him, but now other people, other spectators are coming along just to see what will happen next. Verse 12 says, And as he drew near to the gate of the town, that's the entrance of the town, it says, Behold, a man who had been dead was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. One of the ways that you can think about what's happening in this moment is Jesus is walking into this beautiful town on this slope right there by the Jezreel Valley. As he's going in with disciples and crowds following him, what is coming out of the town is this woman who is in deep pain and grief. And with her comes a crowd as well. And here we do get a beautiful example. We get a beautiful picture that when we're in those moments of grief and when life is hard, we need people around us. But Luke is distinguishing between disciples and a crowd. Jesus has both coming with him. This woman only has a crowd. But not only are they about to meet the disciples, they're about to meet the chief discipler in this moment. And what this moment, this picture reminds us of is that, yes, there are beautiful blessings in life, but also in life we experience the agony of pain. And again, the way we can think about this is as life was coming into the city, death was coming out of the city. And I was thinking about this woman this week. I was thinking about all that she had gone through in life. 
Psychologists talk about it in terms of gains and losses in life. And there are natural gains and losses. There are unnatural gains and losses in life. But she was born into a family and she took that first title for herself. She was someone's daughter. And I imagine that as daughter, as that title was bestowed upon her, she had parents who loved her and nurtured her and took care of her. But then there comes a time in uh, everyone's life for loss when it comes to that first title. And she moved from being daughter to being wife. She lost her original family, the one that brought her into the world, but she has gained a new family. She is starting a new family. Then not only does she have the title wife, she became a mother. But as the story tells us, tragedy struck. She got to carry the title of wife until something happened one day, and we don't know the story, but something happened one day, and her husband passed away. That's how she became a widow. And then life kept moving on, and she still had the title mother, but then one day came when her son passed away. And then she took on a new title, the title Villome. We don't use the word in our language. It's an old Sanskrit word back, going back to 400 B.C. Villome simply means against the natural order. It was against the natural order for a parent to bury their child. Some of you have experienced that, and you know that pain. And this is where Jesus meets this lady. She is in this moment in her life when there have been these beautiful blessings in life, all these things that we would call gains in life, but she's also experienced loss after loss. And she finds herself in a place where she is completely destitute. In her culture, it would have been the males in the family that would have taken care of her. Now her husband is gone. Now her only son is gone. And she finds herself in this place of complete uncertainty about the future. Complete uncertainty. My assumption is she's asking a lot of questions. I believe that she's wrestling with some very hard questions at this particular moment as she's probably drowning in her grief. And I think all of us ask those type of questions at some point in our life, don't we? If you haven't asked them yet, one day you will. At some point, we all have to wrestle with life's hardest questions, especially when it comes to the topic of mortality. Some of you are doing that right now. Some of you are asking heavy questions about life, and it may be something that happened recently. It may be something that happened in the past. And as we wrestle with those questions, sometimes we find those moments when we have faith and we can begin to see an answer. Sometimes we find, those, we find ourselves in those moments where we're wondering if an answer really exists. Can God bring restoration? Can God bring resurrection? Can God do a miracle? Even as we read this text, many times we come to texts like this and we come so with a skeptical mind. We're, we're wondering, was this really a miracle? Was this man really dead or was he asleep? Was he in a coma or something like that? Well, if you just do a, a reading of the text and understand the culture just a little bit, you see that he truly was gone. She had truly lost him in this moment. Notice that they are coming out of the city. You would not have this kind of processional outside the city unless someone had been pronounced dead. Then notice not only that, notice that he's being carried on a particular wooden crate or frame that carries the coffin out of the city. And as this is taking place, as they are walking out of the city, in this moment when Jesus meets this lady, she is in that place where life as she knew it had completely changed. 
And what was beginning was hardship and uncertainty. And then something happens. While Jesus is coming into the city with his disciples and some others, and while she is coming out of the city with a crowd following her, in this moment we read in verse 13, three things happen. And there are three ways in which Jesus brings life into our life. There are three ways right here. Notice the text says in verse 13, as these two crowds are coming together, verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Notice that he saw her, he had compassion on her, and then he said something to her. I believe that these are the three ways that God brings life into our life. These are the three ways that God brings restoration into those dead places that we experience in life. And while this lady is at her lowest point in life, Jesus loves to meet us at our lowest points. But one of the things I want you to understand is that what God does for us, he intends to do through us. That's very important. What God does for us, he intends to do through us. And so as we sit here today and we read this text, we need to understand that we're going to be recipients of this kind of work of God in our life. But also, if you are a Christian today, you're called to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you as well. Because whenever we receive grace from God, it is always an assignment to give that grace away to someone else. In fact, Paul says in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I love this passage here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he's beginning this beautiful book. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I love that. God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others in any of their afflictions. Because the grace we receive, God calls us to give it away. And we're actually going to see it in the text. There are three ways right here that God brings life into our life. The first one is that he saw her. God does this for us, doesn't he? God sees us. He sees us in our pain. He sees us in our agony. He sees us in our grief. But not only does God see us, God sends people into our lives to notice us and see the pain we're going through. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he is modeling for his disciples what they are then going to go out and do. And in this moment, as these two crowds come together in this beautiful, beautiful little town, Jesus looks at her, but he does not just see a human being. He notices her and he sees her pain deeply. And again, God does that for us. But then what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit sends us out to do the very same thing. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us, O oh Christians, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit continually breaks down our self-centeredness so that we can see other people. Always breaking down, chipping away at our pride so that we can see other people, truly notice and see, and see the pain that they are in. So Jesus saw her. The second thing is that Jesus had compassion on her. I love this word, compassion. I, it, you see it over and over throughout the Gospels. 
Jesus had compassion with her, which means not just a feeling that he has. He wants to suffer with her. This is what God does for us. We just celebrated it in the Lord's Supper. Jesus coming and suffering with us on this planet, right? But God sends people into our lives who will suffer with us, who will get in the ditch with us, so to speak, while we are going through those painful moments, and then we will link arms and we will walk through that with them. God does that. He sends people in our life like that. But not only that, the Holy Spirit is also at work in us. While the Holy Spirit is breaking away our self-centeredness, giving us this holy awareness of people, the Holy Spirit is also drawing us close to the sorrow of others drawing us in closely. I mean, we are the church. We are God's people. We are little Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And we have to ask the question, why do we care? Why do we have compassion? Why do we care about people's emotional health? Why do we care about people's mental health? Why do we care about people's physical health? Why do we care about people's spiritual health? Why does the Bible command us to take care of the orphan? Why does the Bible command us to take care of the widow? Why does the Bible command us to take care of the poor? Why does the Bible command us to take care of the immigrant? Why? It's because we have compassion. We are the people of compassion. And we have this compassion because we have received this compassion. And so we give it to others. So what God does is he opens our eyes so that we can see the pain in other people. He gives us a holy awareness, but while he's given us that holy awareness, he's also giving us holy affections so that we can see the need in others, but not just see it be drawn to it. The third thing Jesus did was he, he spoke to her. And actually what Jesus spoke was pretty harsh. Our translation says, do not weep. If you want to translate it literally, it means stop weeping. And you may say, well, that sounds a little harsh to someone who's grieving. You see, but this is what God does for us. God sends people into our lives to speak strong words to our broken places. They are not mean, no, but they are commands. God sends people into our lives to speak strong words of restoration for us. God sends people into our lives to speak strong words of resurrection in us. And again, speaking to those broken places within our lives and calling us from death to life. And then the Holy Spirit does the same through us, doesn't he? The Holy Spirit gives us words to say, the right words to the right person at the right time, so that we can speak words of life into others. And what we see in this passage is that we are called to suffer with one another. And we do that because of our earthly fallen reality. But we're also called not just to suffer with one another, but to speak words of hope to one another. Because we are the people of hope. And while God gives us a holy awareness, he gives us holy affections, he also gives us these holy affirmations where we get to speak to people and call life out in them. And then the amazing thing, verse 14, Jesus walks up. He touches the bier and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. You notice that? Gave him to his mother. When Jesus does this miracle in this man's life, he does not do it in isolation. So many times we would like for it to work that way. I'll just go get away with Jesus. I'll keep my pain to myself. I won't share it with anybody. And, and, and Lord, if you'll just fix me over here, then I can go back out in public and reassure everybody everything's okay. 
or I can continue to keep up my facade, right? But notice Jesus waits to this moment. I don't think his timing is an accident to where all hope seems lost. They are walking out of the city as Jesus is walking in. And in this moment, yes, there is a miracle of restoration. Yes, there is a hint of resurrection that is to come. But in this moment, he does it at just the right time. And he does it not in isolation, but in community. And he restores us both in community and for community because something happens remember I said what God wants to do for you he wants to do through you right something happens as soon as these two crowds and the disciples and Jesus come together and as soon as this miracle takes place he sits up he begins to speak he goes back to his mother in verse 16 says fear sees them all that is a holy awe in that moment fear seized them all and they glorified God saying a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people verse 17 and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country what Jesus did in this person's life in this mother's life in this son's life in this community's life is now working through them and as they go out the word of his fame is spreading and what Jesus can do is spreading it says through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country now faith is being built everywhere and the same power that he had for that woman on that day at her lowest point in life is the same power that is spreading around that there's a guy going around that has this power for us and that same faith has been handed down for over 2,000 years to me and you because what Jesus has done in this passage he can do for us I don't know I always know what it looks like I don't always know how it's gonna work but I believe that the same power that was at work in Jesus on that day is the same power at work in my life and it's the same power at work in your life. And that fame that began to spread that day in this little obscure town right there on the slopes of a beautiful mountain on the Jezreel Valley, that fame has continued on through the centuries right down to me and you. And when we read passages like this, we're faced with this moment. And it's that moment of, do we really believe he can do it again? That's really the question. Pain is not a question. You're going to have it. You may be living with it right now. Being disappointed is not a question. Being hurt is not a question. Our earthly reality is broken. The question is, is will we trust the heavenly reality? That's the question. Will we believe that the same restoring power, the same resurrecting power is available to us today? And that's what I leave you with. Will you believe that for yourself, for your family, for your vocation? Will you believe that for yourself today? Because I believe it's available. Amen? So, Father, would you come in this moment and stir our faith Help us once again believe you. Not just believe in you. Help us believe you. You are the God that walks into obscure places and speaks life and brings that life into our life. You are the God of miracles that we were just singing about. You're the God of restoration 
and of resurrection. And so, Lord, for us today, with everything that we're carrying in this moment, we come and we say, here we are. We have declared your praises together as a community. We have received grace through the broken body and the shed blood once again. Thank you for it. And Lord, I pray that as we prepare to leave in a few moments, that we would do so full of faith, knowing that the resurrecting God is resurrecting me so that I may walk in resurrection power for the world to see. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. In Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, amen. If you would, please stand to your feet.